Welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, my name is G. Um, my real name is Yiling Vu, but you can call me G. And I have my lovely friend Lorette here to join me. She can introduce herself too. I'm Lorette. Lorette Spillum Sebastian. Long name. Short lady. So we've been friends for what? Six years? Yep. Six years since our first trip to India. And here we are launching our own podcast and we're naming it sacred stones for now and it might change (laughs) along the road but right now it's sacred stones for today Mm -hmm. Uh, my journey i would say started when i was young with my parents and my people we come from the mountains and we're really spiritual people you know my mom has always said that Whenever we're dealing with spirits, we should be conscious of what we do and say and how we say it because we're spiritual people. She will always tell me we are Hmong and being Hmong means we are spiritual. We have a connection to the other world, the ancestors or whatever world it is that you defined. I think I I like to see it as another place, um, another place of guidance and where time doesn't follow us. So with that, you know, as, as my identity as a Hmong man, I believe that it paved me the way towards who I am now, um, towards wanting to do more spiritual work, especially with these stones that I have come into contact with in the last six years. Um, I haven't really gotten involved with stones until I met Lorette. Before that, my mom always collected rocks, and she always bought me a piece of rock for me. And I never really thought much of it, but there was a lot of sentimental value to it. And my grandpa and them will always collect rocks. So it was interesting to kind of be in this stage in my life where I'm collecting rocks out of passion. There's a fine line between passion and obsession, but I would say I'm both of that too. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of where I'm at, you know, it kind of led me here. And and that kind of connected me with Lorette and how we educated ourselves and talked a lot about stones and the properties and the spirituality and how we are as human beings and how we can carry ourselves with these stones with us as well. So, And how uh, the world just kind of comes to you mm-hmm. and we're of it and we're not of it. And you just brought up a great point. I was thinking when you said you talked about how the Hmong people are um, connected to this world and the other world. And we were actually just talking off, um, I guess it's not camera, what is this? Off of the recording yeah. of the, what we are. And as a, maybe it's partly because of who you are, maybe as a Hmong man or just something. But for me, I've always been kind of a feeler that I was living in two worlds. Mm. So we call that space the liminal space where it's kind of you're not all the way in one and you're not all the way in another. So you can hear both sides you can be in both worlds at once it's not always healthy and your mom would definitely agree that it's not always healthy to stay in the spirit world for too long because Mm -hmm. you have to be part of this corporeal world or you won't um you won't be able to live your life your real purpose here and i remember when we came back from india uh both you and our friend you as your roommate well, yeah, William. Will, love William. <laughs> Will and you both had a specific way of handling your energy when we left India 
by saying, I'm calling my spirit back. Mm -hmm. And my spirit has to come home with me. I can't leave it here. No matter how much I love India, I'm not going to leave my spirit here. And this is where stones can play a big part in that, is that we can take something with us because the stone agrees. Yes. And we can take that with us. We can gift it to someone else. Often in the form of mala was what we explored most when we were there, is just this gorgeous mala. It's like all the different stones people make mala of. I'm wearing my amethyst one. Mm. And and you had this gorgeous malachite one you found that yep. you just loved. And there were so many um, ways that people in the Tibetan culture use their mala, specifically with specific stone that we studied and learned more about as we kind of did our journey. And it's it's really sophomoric journeying. I mean, it's like not we're just curious people. Yep. We're not we're not geologists. We're not. Um, although we would love to have a geologist come talk to us about <laughs> properties because that stuff's fascinating to us. But what I think G and I find the most fascinating is how you use stones. And one of the things that came to me was when you get a stone, you're getting a piece of this world yeah. infused with the energy of the other. Mm. That is magical that is yeah just made me think about it or how um when a person dies in the jewish faith they bring a very normal rock from anywhere it cannot be even that fancy and they rough it up to put on the gravestone oh wow i didn't know that yeah i know it's kind of interesting weird ways that people use stones not even weird just like beautiful human ways that people use stones that um just symbolize certain things. Yeah, even like tombstones, mm-hmm. you know, um, to signify where the body is at. But at the same time, they're using stone yeah. as a way to create art. Yeah, granite, marble, mm-hmm. really, really tough yep. stones. Not made of something really soft. What's a really soft stone when I say that? What would be really soft? I mean, the the stone that I collect is diaptes, and it's a size 5 yeah. in the moth scale out of 10. 10 is diamond. Super hard. Super hard, and five is stop taste. I would say, I don't know. I don't have a list. Well, if we think about it, you would never make a headstone out of diaptase. Correct. At least one that was outside. Yep. Because it would just get destroyed. Yep. And with diamond, is it too brittle when it gets real, real cold? No idea. I haven't done much research on that. Because, I mean, today, as we sit here recording this, we're both sitting in a day that started at negative 18 yep. degrees Fahrenheit. And that's <laughs> really It's <cold>. freezing here. <laughs> so I was thinking I couldn't wear an opal today because opals do crack. They in, do crack, actually. Mm-hmm. And you know how, like, they have a lot of water opals? Yeah, and the reason why they have it in water is so it doesn't crack. And then if you want to make sure it doesn't crack over time and you can take it out, you can carry it for two years. There's a process where you can put it in a bag and have water drip on it for two years for it to be completely cured and not have to be in water no more. Is it a certain temperature? What are we talking about? I think normal temperature for that opal. Yep. Interesting. For two years, because a lot of opals, you can't, it has to be in water. You know, so this is the way they do it for, that's why it's so much expensive because it take over two plus years to cure it so that it can be put in a rain setting. or setting or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have to be in water. Very interesting. I didn't even know that. 
Yeah. See, and that's how this podcast is going to go, people. <laughs> We're just going to sit here and shoot facts at each other and then be like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, we facts that we didn't even know. <laughs> and if you guys think our facts aren't real, go ahead and tell us about it because maybe we know something we don't know or we don't know something we should know. But yeah, but if, enough of my journey. What about yours? Oh, gosh. I know. And then it's like the, the kind of that weird amorphous view of like what is the journey? Where does it begin? In utero? Um, with stones, mm-hmm. I mean, what are we really talking about? But it, for the service of this um, talk right now, we could, I will say, I was raised in Minnesota where um, I had grandparents who lived in Brazil. So if you wanted to see them, you had to go there. Mm. And so we did that. And whenever we'd go, my grandmother had a giant love of stones. And so we would just be out and about and she'd be at this gem markets and different places and she got stone upon stone. I don't even know what happened to all of them. I'm sure they're meted out amongst my cousins and whatnot. Oh, she's passed, but they're, they're amazing. And she loved them and she kind of, it gave us a, that same love mm. of stones. She would touch them and show them to us, tell us what they were. She was a very scientific lady, so she would talk about the properties of them, and we were very small, so we didn't remember that stuff. Yep. But some of it went in, and I remember that story I told you about my little, my big brother who wanted his bathtub made of a geode, yep. which, the, uh, which was amethyst. And um, it made me think, too, what I think I really liked about geodes is that they were like, eggs they looked like nothing on the outside the stone looks rough and strange and roundish on the outside and you crack it open and inside was this world of little beautiful spikes yep or sometimes it's that agate one or i don't remember what they are where you slice it open and it's still water on the inside oh yeah and part stone still my grandma had a bunch of those they have those in Mexico. Um, they got big geos down there, some in Mississippi. The really interesting geos are the one found in Utah, the Satarian ones. Do tell. They call it the Dragonstone, oh, I don't where know it, it has like a yellow banding and kind of like dragon scale formation when you cut it open and when you polish it. You're going to have to show me this. So this stone is definitely one that I've been thinking about, but I haven't really gotten it because it was really expensive. But one day I'll get one. One day I'll get one. Yeah, he will. I can guarantee he will. Plus, a dragon is one of his animals. Yeah, dragon is one of the animals that I collect. Um, when I was born, or when I was in my mom's belly, she dreamed of dragons. You know, she dreamed of dragons every night. Um, it was a scary dream that she had, you know, and she was saying how I was a symbol of strength when I was born because I gave her nightmares. You know, so ever since that, I, I collect dragons, you know, every time I, I see say, something. I love the whole idea of you being terrifying. And so that's good. Like, okay, I love it. For your mom, it's not scary. Yeah. It's great. So it's normal for her. It's normal for her that dreams of a child. And I'm pretty sure any mother will have dreams, nightmares yeah. of the children. We do. We have weird dreams. So we have, I've got two kids and yeah, we have weird dreams when we have them in our bellies. And you're the firstborn son. I mean, that's really an important Maybe. It is. It is, especially for a Hmong family. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about, or I mean, I would still say now, like, or even in other cultures where they value Very sons, true. firstborn sons, and how I was pretty privileged growing up too, along my sisters. 
but it was a big thing for my family. You know, I had two older sisters and then I was born. And then my mom told me, she told me when I was at the hospital, when you were born, your dad cried mm -hmm. and held on to you and you were so precious to him. You know, you were, you were his strength. You were his everything, you know? Yeah. And I didn't realize how powerful that was, you know, but my mom told me that story and be like, my dad's always trying to be tough and be like, Oh, you don't <laughs> right. cry. You don't, you don't show emotions, <laughs> oh, but like you know, <laughs> But he showed it then, you know, because it was so precious then. But speaking, but speaking of the the bathtub, I actually wanted to make my future home a bathtub of quartz or rose quartz or something along the lines of that. That'd be gorgeous. I saw one being made of malachite, but malachite is a toxic mineral when you put it to water. So you don't want to soak in that. So I can't do that. No. But I can do at least a quartz and a rose quartz. What about like an alabaster? Is that selenite? Sort I of? think it is a. Oh, now here's where we need a geologist to yeah. come in and tell us. But I, it's it's uh, gorgeous. It's kind of very milky white. Yep. And real pretty. And I have some alabaster in my house. Different things that carved out of it. I wonder if you could soak in that too. Maybe because if you, if you soak selenite and stuff, it melts. Hell, we got it. Yeah. We so this. we have we have a thing called the internet. I'm gonna look it up. But uh, yeah. I mean the alabaster. Um, my friend actually reached out to me regarding Alabaster because he's writing this character right now. Oh, cool. Who has a favorite character right now named Alabaster. And he was messaging me about the properties of it and kind of how to go about getting that sort of mineral. Yeah. And I sent him a couple of resources and I told him, yeah, it's a pretty cheap to afford it. So you can get whatever you want out of it. Yeah, and people he, carve it all the time. It must be soft enough yeah, to carve. It must be soft enough. And he told me like, oh, I don't have to like, do something spiritual or whatever no you don't have to you just have to go to the store and then find the rock that calls out to you yeah. and then that's your rock i wonder if we are giving people the impression just us as humans that we that everything needs to be spiritual <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> it have to be. be no it doesn't have to be but it can be right it can be just beautiful i think overall like there's many different rocks and they're all beautiful you know and, and just to say we all live on a rock so you know, and a lot of rocks are part of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, the liminal space that's between two worlds, that space would be that the stone can be infused by the spirit energy and then given to you in the physical world. Yeah. I really think that's where we're coming from, If we even without that word liminal involved, yeah. you know. Um, and also it's January, which is a great month, and January is the beginning of a year, not everybody's year, but it's real freaking cold in some parts of the world. Yep. And for us that live in really cold and often dark, because it's the longest um, dark time of our year, uh, up here in North America, we have this kind of feeling of uh, going within and getting quiet and getting contemplative mm -hmm. and being more... Um, careful with our energy and being better with self-care hopefully and uh kind of bringing our loved ones nearer and making a real effort to be with people because you have to leave your home and that's really big but january is the god of january is janus mm -hmm. and janus is the two-faced god not that he is um uh, in some ways duplicitous he's actually one thing but he sees both worlds mm -hmm. And January is a good time, and that's why they gave him that, because it was this is the time of year to do that work, yeah. to see both worlds. So this is a great time for us to start this podcast. Yeah. 
And we will talk a lot about the spirit world and how it ties to our minerals and gems. Yeah, and it comes naturally to me, I guess, always growing up, believing that there was another world and paying respect to another world and our ancestors who have passed away over time. And your rituals, the rituals you use. Do you use stones and rituals often? I would say we use incense. I'm pretty sure we might use stones. We do use the horns of animals. We use a lot of stuff from animals. Um, but I don't know about stones. We do use, like, for our shaman, he carries around, like, a metal. It's like a circular metal jingle where he communicates with the spirit world. Um, but, no, I'm not sure. I don't know as of now. That's interesting. I wonder, too, of the diaspora group of people that has come to this world, mm-hmm. this United States of America place, and comes out of the taking your Hmong values and everything you brought with you, your culture. What of that would be about the land, because we talked about this when we were in India a lot, about being mountain people and being with Tibetans, who also were mountain people, also exiled from their space, um, and under duress, similarly, and have to leave and take what's what's with you. Perhaps what we talked about then was how the land is within you. Yeah. And you take it with you. And so rocks that we hold and can touch, and we can leave or pass them on, those things can are part of your sacred journey as diaspora. Yep. And that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. But like that piece of you taking the land with you, maybe born here to a, a woman and a man who had come here from a camp. Yep. Those are really important pieces of your journey because they're in your DNA. Much like dripping water on a noble yep. cures it. Your family line is cured in a new way. You really are avatars. That's really interesting you say that because when I, throughout my college career, right before I went to India, I was searching for myself, um, my spiritual self, because I was spiritually, I wouldn't say spiritually broken, but I was spiritually distorted. You know, and then I wanted to find a way to come back to my spirituality. So that's why I went to India, actually. And I didn't realize until I got to Dharamsala, when I stepped foot up there, I felt totally at peace and totally a part of the land. Yeah. There was something there that made me feel at home. Because when I was in France, I didn't feel like I was home. I wanted to go home. But when I was in India, it was okay. I told myself, oh, it's okay. I feel okay. Isn't that funny how we do that? Yeah. It's got to be that your cellular reaction with the land. Yeah. Could be the people too, but it's, it is the land as much as it's the people. Mm-hmm. What about your first experience with stones? I don't think it was spectacular as much as like, I just remember always having them around. Hmm. I just always, my, well, I can also say much like your mom, my mom, if you go on a walk with my mom, there will be rocks picked up. Off the ground, who knows what, she will stop a walk to look at stones, pick some of them up. She's just a funny little lady that way. She reminds me of a bird. Like, she'll just go and she'll find a, a stone, and she'll be like, and everybody's walking, and everybody has to stop and wait for her mom to get her rocks, and then they go in her pocket. I don't know. Sometimes you see them again. Sometimes you don't. Mm. 
We don't know what she's doing with these rocks. My mom did that as well. <laughs> now I do that too. Yes, I am. Like when I go person. on hikes, when oh, I go yeah. on hikes or when I go to places that I feel peaceful, mm-hmm. I look for a stone. A stone that is off the beaten path. I, I, I don't just pick up random stones. Yeah, you but, wait for one to talk to you. Yep. I've seen this man pick stones, and he has to make a sacred cairn. It's part of his journey. Oh, yeah. A nine-stone cairn. And um, in this process of choosing stones, he waits, he sits there, and he communes. He talks with them. I see him do it. And they talk with him in some form, and he'll have a few, and then he'll put some of them back because those aren't right. Yep. And that we limit ourselves. And that's another thing about being a, a sacred person is knowing we are not entitled to rocks. Right. We're not entitled to stones. I kind of think of them as beings. So if they want to be with us, they should be with us. If they do not want to be with us, they'll have to find a way to leave. Yep. Because we should never be greedy for them. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, and perhaps that pisses people off hearing that, but really we know that greed is a mental poison too. So yep. if we ever get too needy of a, an element or thing, it's better to let it go. Yep. And let yourself heal a bit. What about for like profit gains or as a business? Um, I always like to think that you'll know if you're exploiting it. Like Palo Santo, right? We, mm-hmm. Palo Santo is a wonderful wood and it is used to cleanse. Yep. But it is also endangered yep. because it is being deforested too quickly. And it's not replenishing as fast as it's being deforested. So if as a a responsible steward will just pay attention to their profit margin and say, what's more important, my profit margin and short-term gain versus long-term gain for the whole of people, humanity, the planet, whatever it might be. And we might also say, perhaps in the grand design of things, the earth was going to switch poles and change things anyway, and that's okay, but we certainly hastened the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... um, when I think of profit, I think of knowing that you have to check in frequently. Yep. Knowing that you're using an element to gain. And perhaps it's super down with that, maybe not. I don't know. And it, there's no way for us to measure yeah. the stone's involvement. And sometimes we don't know the real sentimental value. People put crazy prices on certain stones. De Beers and you know. diamonds. Look at that world. You know. I mean, that is an inflated market of a stone that's actually really prevalent. Yep. Really, really common. Really easy to, to mine and get. They have it now. De Beers has just vaults and vaults of diamonds, and they create scarcity in the market. Yep. So that's what, if we're talking about profits, we're also going to talk about market, obviously. Yep. And you know more than I about how that works. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things about collecting stones and going to gem shows and meeting dealers and miners is all the crazy profits and margins that they have, you know, and how something new that was newly found sky markets, oh, you yeah. know, and then and inflates the market and it becomes like really cheap because everyone has it, you know. So name one. What is what stone would come to mind? The stone that would come to mind, there was a stone last year that came to mind was a hemimorphite. Okay, I don't even know what it is. What is this? It's like a, it's not a stone, it's more like crystals on a matrix in Mexico. I think it was Mexico and New Mexico. And the miners, it was blue. It's usually white, Mm -hmm. 
the stone and it was blue like a really dark blue like kind of like a lapis kind of dark blue but it was all natural when it was being sold in tucson interesting and then they didn't there was no scientific proof or no um, testing of the crystal so it went in the market it was charged large amounts of money a lot of dealers that i know had bought flats of it and then they finally came out and tested it and it was dyed blue so oh, okay. it was a natural it was a natural hemimorphite but it was dyed blue okay and how do they do that i mean i know you don't maybe want to go off topic but what is the process of dyeing a stone um Isn't i don't it know heat treated he it, it could be heat treated it could be using a certain dye during while mining it like like a li- liquid kind yep. of thing exposure to liquid and yep. heat mm-hmm. interesting so, so then that, that stays in the stone yep and then, I mean, they have some stones where they just glue the stone back on, too. You know, well, and then, you can see those. I mean, they're, if yep. you just pop on any kind of Amazon, like um, citrine or whatever, or, or yep. uh, rose quartz or anything, some of well, them, quartz doesn't need to really be dyed, but like the really crazy, bright, bright, bright colors are often chemical. Yep. Especially with like citrine, like there's, there's a big geos for amethyst, mm-hmm. and there's, it's purple. Purple is usually the color. When it's like brown and yellow, they call it citrine. Yeah. But it's actual heated amethyst to make that color. So that's not really natural. That was heated. Or even gemstones like tanzanite or sapphires, they get heated to get the really dark, dark, beautiful color. Yeah. You know, so. And it's a natural process of heat that causes it to correct. get more blue. Or whatever it might be, the color. It do, is emerald the same way. It's a barrel. Does it it's a barrel, but no, they don't heat the barrel. So it's the green is that green. Yep. But then you love this stone, dioptase. Yep. That is unbelievably beautifully green. It's really deep, deep saturated emerald green. It does. It looks like a, a lawn in the summer. Yep. It's gorgeous. Yep. Like ugh. But it's, it doesn't have the same uh, hardness as an emerald. It's yeah. half the hardness. But the value of it is really, really valuable. Yeah. I love the piece you gave me. It's a piece of an inside of the geode. So it's like the little, I mean, I've got more than one you've given me. Yep. But the baby piece I love so much is little. I can take it anywhere. And it looks like parts like a drop open an egg. And inside is this gorgeous green world. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I have a thing for the geode. We were talking about um, walking to Triund. Mm-hmm. which is a place in the Himalayan um, foothills and the mountains up in Dharamsala. That's where it starts. And then you wind up the mountain into the foothills and you go to a place called Triund, which is a Shiva um, kind of sacred site. Mm-hmm. And it's very cool. And it has the, the it's called Triund just because it's got the tri, trident. Yep, and people hike up there to camp overnight. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we hiked up there. And we walked on stone the entire way. Yep. And it was a sacred journey. And you have to really be sure-footed because there's places where the path is kind of wonky and the Mm -hmm. stones fall off the mountain and there's no guardrail. This is not a safe journey by American standards. In any way, it couldn't be legislated. They couldn't. They couldn't make it a national park here. No, you you have the people there <laughs> hiking in sandals and long pants, and it's beaming heat. Oh yeah. And I was pretty fit, but I couldn't handle it. I I kept going. He did. 
you know, the thin air kind of killed me close to the top. <laughs> <laughs> we got down, had a really good dinner and talked about it, but it was a real journey. And being up there with the stones, you're just, it's bare rock up there. There's not a lot of soil. There's a few trees kind of hanging on at the end there, but you're up on the top of the well they're Himala- himalayan foothills they're not even mountain yet but man we are way up there mm-hmm. way above denver and there's some like people that mine in the mountains up there mm-hmm. in the himalayans or switzerland mountains and they find the really beautiful water clear quartz crystals oh like the the super clear clear ones yep like oh, swiss quartz is expensive because they're mining the mountains the himalayans the mountains in Pakistan, they mine the clear quartz in the mountains, and it's really crystal clear too. That's as well. the ones we get at the Sky Door. Mm-hmm. We get uh, well. The, we have this store here in Minneapolis. That's um, big shout out for it. It's a great Tibetan store here in Minneapolis in mm-hmm. Linden Hills that sells Tibetan ware. And when they get in their clear quartz, Tibetan clear quartz, that is like glass. Mm-hmm. It's so pretty, but it's not glass. It is quartz. Yep. So. I have one from them that I got there, it's, and I stuck a tiger's eye in it. Oh, so it's okay. got one tiger's eye bead, and then the rest is all that clear quartz, and I just think, woohoo, that's my amplification for the day. That's good energy, good mm-hmm. energy for you. Yeah, definitely. I didn't know that about the um, the Swiss quartz. I didn't even know. That makes me think, too, as the mountain grows and gets pushed up, and that heat and all that pressure pushes in on it inside the crust, You've got all these quartz growing because they grow like plants. They grow like plants, but the, the specific, the cool thing about Swiss quartz yeah. or Himalayan quartz, yeah. they call it Gwendo quartz. Mm. That's when the quartz grow and then it bends. Shut up. So it's called Gwendo. This. So if you get a chance to look up Gwendo quartz or Swiss quartz or Himalayan quartz, you can see the quartz itself bend to its own will. But, you know, just to let you know, this is our journey. And thank you for listening. And we're going to tell many more stories moving forward. So There will be lots of more stories because we always have more. Yep. And thanks for joining us. Yep. Thank you. In progress, would like to thank the following sponsors. The FR Bigelow Foundation. The McKnight Foundation. The Metropolitan Regional Arts Council Flexible Support Fund. The Minnesota State Arts Board Creative Support Program. This activity is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board. Thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. National Endowment from the Arts National Cares Act Program. St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation. Thank you to all our partners and sponsors.